wedding, Jim. But not as we know it. How dare you? past 4pm on Saturday the 13th of January 2024 and you are listening to The Bashcast. Coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast, Tom makes a dog's dinner of Christmas dinner as it ends up on the kitchen floor. We do an in-depth review of the mathematics and the morals of X and Twitter handle at Andy Robson Tips. What is going on there? Pricing up Luke Littier in the PDC World Dart Championships. What value did we find there, if any? A look at exchange edges because Bookie Bashing have a new partnership with BetDAC. And finally, we look at my first shop bets of the year as we ask the question, has anything fundamentally changed with the Bookie Bashing models going in to 2024? All of that and more coming up in the Bashcast this afternoon. Merry Christmas and a bar humbug to a lot of you. What are people doing buying the Marks and Spencers collection, British oakum slow-cooked turkey, the boneless one um, with all the trimmings? That is a buttermilk-brimmed barley with pork and cranberry stuffing and signature dry-cured bacon. What are you doing? I mean, essentially, it's a ready meal for Christmas. It was 85 quid. It was 85 quid, unless, of course, you then went on Christmas Eve, and then it was 30 quid, and then it was 15 quid. Um, It's don't blame the player, blame the game, and it's all about how you play the game. If you went down to my local Morrison's, you could pick up bags of um, carrots, parsnips, swedes for free on Christmas Eve because they just overstocked on those items. You're an idiot if you're paying 85 quid. That fed um, six to eight people. Do you know what I did for six to eight people? Well, I had I had eight people and two kids. So what's that? Eight and three quarters people. I went down to Aldi. Now, don't call me a skinflint. I went down to Aldi. I got the frozen turkey crown, but I also got a gammon ham. And then I invested some time to over time to figure out how to do the trimmings really, really well. So, like, it's not that difficult. Go into YouTube and have a look at Gordon Ramsay's roast potatoes recipe. Here's a here's a tip for you. If, however long you think they need in the oven, add 10 minutes. You think they need 45, put them in for 55. You think they need half an hour, you put them in for 40 minutes. It's that simple. Um, learn how to do your sticky glaze for your carrots and your parsnips. Learn how to do your Brussels sprouts well. And then it doesn't matter if you're spending... £8.50 on the frozen Aldi turkey because it tastes as good or if not better 
than if you'd spent £85 on the slow-cooked boneless turkey from Marks and Spencers. But this is a capitalist supply and demand society, and when there are idiots out there who are going to spend £85 on a bit of meat for Christmas Day for eight people, and probably, like, microwave the roast potatoes as well, um, then there are idiots out there, but there's no need to do it. So that, that's my Christmas tip. Learn how to do the trimmings well. The, um, it was an ev- it was an eventless Christmas for me in that it was pretty drama-free for once, um, everyone on their best behaviour. I think mostly because I had people over to mine. Family were coming to mine, so it takes the stress off everybody else. Did have friends round for Beef Wellington. I spent a lot more time on the Beef Wellington than I did on the frozen um, turkey from Aldi. And um, 24 hours to be precise with the duxelle mushroom and all of that took it out of the oven when it was ready to go on the dining table lifted it out of the tray by holding on to both sides of the baking paper and then it lost its balance because the baking paper was in no way an appropriate vessel to transport this thing toppled over and landed upside down smashed to pieces on the kitchen floor amongst all of the cat hair Standard, standard Christmas, upside down on the kitchen floor. Lost all the duck cell mushroom. Had to scoop up the pastry, shove the fillet, which incidentally cost me 70 quid. Here I am moaning about the cost of meat on Christmas Day. And I've spent 70 quid on this beef fillet to go into the Wellington and ended up on the, Christmas, on the kitchen floor. My fault. Nobody else to blame for that. Um, it looked like a dog's dinner. It tasted like the cat's dinner. It still was pretty nice at the end of it. And when you've got friends, nobody judges you, although they do laugh a little bit. Um, New Year's resolution. Don't do them very often. I'm going 365 days sober. Started it on the 29th of December, so I can break it just after Christmas this year. Whether I do it or not, I don't know. But I mean, I'm, I'm over two weeks in now, so I'm happy with that. Um... I listened to a lot of the Professor Huberman and Chris Williamson podcasts and I was listening to the one about alcohol and I think I've been toying with the idea for a while because, I don't know, uh, 2023 crept up on me um, and probably I'm, I'm keen on seeing one, if I have the discipline for it and two, if it actually makes me sleep a little bit better, feel a little bit better. I mean, the problem is I'm a little bit of a wreckhead. So I, I'm going with Williamson's and Huberman's advice and seeing if I can replace the alcohol with psilocybin. And the less said about that, the better. Go and listen to their podcasts if you want to know more about that. Um, but that's going to be my challenge for 2020. I don't even mind that much if I break it in February because it just means that I've sort of sort of philosophized and reminisced about it and I've chosen the sitting down across a table with some close friends having a natter and a bottle of wine is probably more important to my quality of life than give tea going teetotal for 365 days but if I can get through the first few on what what I need is an exciting drink. That's what I haven't come across yet because I don't like the idea of the fake, the no, the zero alcohol beers because I think I drink beer for the alcohol, right? I haven't found a zero alcohol red wine again. I think I drink the red wine for the alcohol. Um, so if I'm not drinking for the alcohol, it's coffee or sparkling water. So if you know of anything that's interesting, like a mocktail just doesn't make any sense to me. And also it's full of sugar anyway. I'd rather have the sparkling water. But yeah, I mean, that's the one thing sort of... The 
we actually having a drink with your friends and maybe a, you know I'm going to miss a chili margarita every now and again oh, I'll tell you one thing as well my wife got me the pepper x sauce from first we feast shipped over from America this is the two and a half million Scoville chili that's the world's spiciest chili so this sauce is 91% pepper x just give it a go especially if you like your chilies five of us gave it to go on new year's eve and the funny thing about this particular chili is the intensity builds and builds for 20 minutes minute on minute and every minute where you think it's peaked in the following minute it keeps on going up it's um it's sort of equally hilarious trippy um and exceptionally hot so if you like your hot sauces Give Pepper X a go from the First We Feast. If you've never watched First We Feast, it's hilarious. Go onto YouTube, search it out. It's just some guy interviewing people eating chicken wings. But the chicken wings are progressively spicier, wing after wing. And um, I've thought about that concept for the Bashcast every now and again. I want to have a look at the mathematics and the morals of Andy Robson tips on social media primarily on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Why would I care about a social media tipster? I mean, ordinarily, I wouldn't. Anybody can be a social media tipster. You don't need an education requirement. You don't need a skill set. You don't even need any receipts. Everybody is an expert in the realm of value betting. This is no more personified in the um, account at Green Tick Racing. If you want to go and have a look at this chap's um, profile. He does have 2,000 followers and he has a Telegram group, Green Tick Tips. So, you know, whoever he is, he thinks he's knowledgeable enough to be giving out tips. He posted recently um, a inf- email he got from Bet365 saying information about your bet. We're changing your 100 to 1 bet on Sandarina in the 12.56 at Doncaster. We're changing the odds from 100 to 1 to 10 to 1. And if you have a look up on Odds Checker, you can see Betway were 8 to 1, Paddy Power 8 to 1, Betfest Sportsbook 8 to 1, Bet365 100 to 1. So what Bet365 have done there is they've just pushed themselves out to be top price. They've gone 10 to 1. They put an extra zero in by accident that, um, and that they've typed in 100 to 1. I don't know how it happens. It shouldn't happen. In terms of the in terms of a palpable error, this is as obvious a palpable error as there is. It's very fair for the bookmaker to turn around and go, "We didn't mean a hundred to one. We did mean ten to one." I mean, this isn't shaving thirty-three to one into twenty-five to one, which is very suspect. It's quite obvious this horse was never a hundred to one. Green Tick Racing shares the email and says, "Bet three six five. This is absolutely outrageous and criminal. Surely this is illegal." I placed a bet at 100 to 1. They're revising my odds to 10 to 1. How can they do this? Has anyone ever had this happen before at Conberry Trader? I mean, if anyone can, the can-can man can. Um, The fact that Green Tick Racing is even surprised that this is a palpable error and has never heard of a palpable error before just shows that they have limited to almost no experience in the realm of betting. So how... Do they think that they can run a tip 
tipping channel on Telegram. Well, because anybody can run a tipping channel on Telegram. Absolutely anybody can. And that's the world of social media tipping right now. And, you know, we can kind of laugh at green tick racing. We see right through it. The problem is not everybody does. Now, with his 1,700 followers, I'm sure a few people are losing money hand over fist to him. And, um, well, a fool and his money are easily parted, as your mother said to many a man that walked into the bedroom. But Andy Robson's tips is slightly different. It's a different level. He has 682,000 followers on Twitter or X. I have no idea how a tipster gets that many followers. Even if you imagine that a lot of those followers are um, fake, which they've got to be, you know, um, he's still followed by people like Betfair, you know, or beware Betfair. He is followed by Guy Harding from Oddschecker. He's followed by Bet Victor. He's followed by Andy Hamilton, the PDC darts player. He's followed by Bob Mortimer, everybody's favourite stand-up comedian, Bob Mortimer from Vic and Bob. I love Bob Mortimer. He's followed by Boy George. He's followed by um, Scott Mills off of Radio 1. I mean, there's a lot of people following this guy um, who are not just made-up Twitter-following people. Legitimately, this guy looks like he is followed by a lot of people. And with great power comes great responsibility, right? So hopefully for the 682,000 followers he have, he's not just spouting nonsense. Or hopefully even more dangerous than that, he's not actually scamming people um, without them knowing about it. Let's have a look at what he's doing. Well, the first thing on his website... You can sign up to his gem bets. Uh, 125,000 people enjoy his gem bets. I mean, what is that? That's like one out of every 400 people in the UK. Um, it's a list of the highest rated matches for goals from his statistical algorithm. There you go. The, so again, here we're talking about mathematical modeling. We're talking about statistical algorithms. Um, the The first thing I would say, just the first thing I would say is that any statistical algorithm, especially in the realm of sports betting, can be proven to be profitable or non-profitable through looking at profit-loss histories over a sizable enough sample size by looking at certain things like p-values that will look at the likelihood of whether statistical um, analyses on bet histories um, are likely to be in profit or are likely to be running at a loss, um, things like this. Well, Andy Robson doesn't offer any statistical analysis on a bet history because he doesn't offer any bet history, right? There's no bet history. So he comes with no receipts. Red flag number one, I don't like it, and you shouldn't either, but the masses don't seem to care. The Scott Millses of this world obviously don't care that he doesn't have any kind of library or independent proofing of his bet history so there's no proof that this guy is long-term profitable um he says he's got a statistical algorithm well without looking at his bet history what can we do can we prove whether he is long-term profitable or not looking at what he's offering well we can try 
before we do this, a couple more things about Andy Robson. Bizarrely, he sponsors, I mean, the guy sponsors um, a football team that were in the Europa Conference League qualifying round, round three um, this year. That is B36 Torshavin of the Faroe Islands. Now, I have no idea how much it costs to sponsor B36 Torshavin of the Faroe Islands. Um, it seems like the capacity of their ground is 5,000. Um, but whatever you're going to say, he can't be running at nil income here. He has to have some kind of reserves behind him to be able to sponsor B36 Toshavan. Uh, where's that money coming from? Maybe he is a profitable better, profitable gambler, and it's coming from there. Maybe people are paying him for his tips, and it's coming from there. Or maybe, just maybe, some people are paying him to push the tips out there for some other nefarious reason. We'll come back to that. Um, there's actually an interview with him on the um, Haverfest, Haverfest, Haverford Ford, I hate Wales, Haverford West, Haverford West County AFC.com website because they were playing H36 Torshavin. They asked him, um, what led you to create Andy Robson tips? Well, I created this account in 2015 because I had found success with my personal bets. Um, and my friends encouraged me to share these publicly. Well, something that me and Andy Robson have in common. I take pride in sharing the research behind each bet. Okay, same. Um, allowing followers to understand the reasoning behind my predictions. People respect and trust me for it. And my following has steadily grown over the eight years. Over the years, I have built a team that centers around providing the best quality betting tips and tools whilst maintaining a light-hearted, fun, and responsible approach. Now, same here, right? Um, and the big thing for me with the tips and tools was transparency, accountability, independent proofing, um, historical records, breaking everything down into first principles, allowing people to understand data sources, but most importantly, understanding that in betting, we don't care about the so-called sports experts. Anybody can th think that Manchester United are going to win tonight. And if they don't assign a price to that, then we know that they are not a value better, professional better. Because we need to know the probability, the fair odds of the event occurring so that we can bet above that. Without that piece of information, then any write-up, any analysis, we know that the person's worthless. So anyone can say, well, I think Red Rum's going to win the race tomorrow. Great. At what odds? Is 1 to 100 value? How about 1 to a million, where I have to put a million pounds down to get a quid? Is that value? You know? You, you know the recreational guys in the office who say, I've got a dead cert. I've got a dead cert at the 8 p.m. in Wolverhampton. Okay, but do you have a price? Do you have a minimum price that we go in at? You know? Or a maximum price? If you don't, then all it is is light-hearted fun. But it's not responsible. I mean... I can take light-hearted and fun. Anyone can take a bit of light-hearted and fun approach. It's the, the responsible bit, though. Come on. Let's talk about responsibility in terms of transparency of what really is going on with a service like Andy Robson tips. And before we look at his tips, 
a couple of things. If you go on to the betting.betfair.com site, there's actually a page for Andy Robson's tips on the Betfair site. They link you to Andy's Bet Club, containing Opta-powered bet builder stats and cheat sheets, apparently. Um, uh, and they're really pushing Andy, but they're also pushing Andy at Betfair for bets at Betfair Sportsbook. Betfair are pushing Andy on their site who is tipping bets at Betfair Sportsbook. Red flag number two. What are Paddy Power doing? News.paddypower.com slash author slash Andy-Robson-tips. Andy Robson is the social media sensation known for his love of crunching the data and finding the best punts for football bet builders and Premier League betting tips, previews and predictions, and the best of the action in Scotland too. Get all over his selections over at Andy's Bet Club website. So Paddy Power on news.paddypower.com are pushing Andy Robson's um, website. They're pushing his Twitter account. And you can get write-ups from his um, 12 to 1 St. Mirren versus Celtic bet builder. You can get um, write-ups on Rangers to avoid defeat at Celtic, um, Hibs Hearts. I mean, every article he seems to have ever written is up at Paddy Power and at Betfair. That's red flag number three. Okay, the red flags are coming. We haven't even looked at the mathematics of what he's doing just now, have we? Okay, on to his actual um, um, Twitter page. Red flag number four. Everything that he's tipping seems to be a boost. That's crazy to me. For someone with half a million followers, you're not tipping into standard markets, you're tipping into boosts. Um, who's going to... Which bookmaker is just going to allow people to bet on these boosts over and over again? Well, the boosts that he's pushing happen to exclusively be at Betfair and at Paddy Power. But Betfair and Paddy Power wouldn't let you just exclusively bet on these boosts, would they? Let's have a look at one of them, okay? So in this particular boost, um, in fact, he says that he's been on one hell of a run. He says that he has had five of these types of bets win in a row, and we should get on it because it's going to be six in a row coming up. So let's have a look at these exact bets. Who has won on my email gem bet? The last five have flew in. Flew in? Flown in? Flew in? Um, I'll be sending my next email at 3 p.m. on Friday, going for six in a row. You'll also get early access to my Premier League cheat sheets, hit rates, and more. These are all like evens, roughly. Um, so five in a row, two, four, eight... 16, there's a 32 to 1 chance. I mean, that, that kind of run, statistically, even if these are good bets, should happen once every 30 times, roughly. So um, no acknowledgement of how lucky that could be, notably here. In fact, most of the content on Andy's site surrounding his historical bets do seem to focus on the winners. In fact, he seems to just have winners from what I can see. But okay, Um 
he actually posts the bet slips for these. Um, he stuck a whopping £10 on the first one, which was Coventry to win and two-plus goals in Bournemouth versus Fulham. Coventry to win and two-plus goals in Bournemouth versus Fulham. £10 on a power price, a bloody boost at Paddy Power. The odds were 2.25. Now, this was on the 26th of December, Boxing Day. We happen to have a record of this game. I've got a record of the entire game centre, all the detailed lines. Um, Bournemouth versus Fulham over 1.5 was liquid on the exchange at 1.24. So I don't even have to use my own model here. I've got an exchange price that I'm going to use. Uh, an efficient wisdom of the crowd price of 1.24, which no bookmaker should have been higher than or close to because that's the efficient price. Okay? Um... Uh, you know, you really can't bet any higher than that anywhere, that 1.24. And Coventry to win, again, Coventry to win was 1.83 against Sheffield Wednesday on Boxing Day. 1.83 multiplied by 1.24 is 2.27. The power price is 2.25. That's just using the exchange itself. You would have got a better price on the exchange than this actual boost at Paddy Power. Why wouldn't Andy tip the exchange for those individual parts. I mean, I know you can't compound the exchange. You could if they were playing at different times. I don't know when the kickoffs were on Boxing Day. I'm going to presume they were both 3 p.m., but I don't I don't know. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they were. But let's say they play at different times. Well, first bet on Coventry to win. Take them all of the returns if they do win and bet on two-plus goals versus Bournemouth versus Fulham. You'll get 2.27 instead of the 2.25 you get at Paddy Power. And the thing is... You're not constrained to 10 quid max there, as you probably are on the power prices. And you're not going to lose your exchange, right? Okay, there's maybe a conversation to be had around commission. Perhaps the 2.25 is slightly better after commission. So let's move on from this technically 99.1% EV bet. We've got three plus goals in Edinburgh City versus Hamilton and Queen of the South to win. Championship and League 1 um, games in Scotland on the 30th of December 2023 again don't need to do any of my own modeling I've got a liquid exchange to work from and I happen to know in my database that Queen of the South was 1.93 on the 30th of December um, and over 2.5 goals in Edinburgh versus Hamilton was 1.22 multiply them both together on the exchange you could have got 2.35 What's the Paddy Power price? 2.25. That's a 95% EV bet. And it's a boost at a bookmaker. What's going on? Why wouldn't Andy tip the exchange? Why wouldn't he tip the exchange? Why is he pushing a power price? Also, why does he think that that's a good price? Um, where's his, where's his, the separation of his model between over 2.5 goals in Edinburgh City versus Hamilton and Queen of the South? One of those, if not both of them, in his model, had to be probability way under the odds you could get at the exchange. So just bet at the exchange. I don't get why he's not suggesting that people don't do that. I'm going to move on to one more. This is the most striking. The 1st of January 2024. Leicester to score two plus goals in Plymouth Watford both to score. Plymouth Watford on the exchange. BTTS was 1.59. Now I've got to use my own model here. Um... Leicester to score two plus goals. Leicester's XG in that match was 2.4. So using a probability distribution, 
for an XG of 2.4. We're going to get 1.45 for Leicester to score two or more goals. Multiply the two together. 1.45 and 1.59. We get 2.3. The power price was evens on that. I mean, 2.3. Okay, you can't get Leicester to score two plus goals. No, you probably could get Leicester to score two plus goals in the exchange. But you could almost certainly find a bookmaker that was, you know, you could have put your money on Leicester to score two plus goals and then Plymouth Watford BTTS on the exchange at way higher than the evens on the power price. That's an 86% EV bet. For every £10 you're putting on that bet, you're going to be losing £1.40. You are very, very quickly going to go broke betting on 86% EV bets. And this is the thing about Andy Robson's tips. I'm pretty sure anyone betting on them, going through all of them that I've looked at, is going broke. Um, some of them are just nuts. I mean, you had Gordon to have a shot on target and Semedo to be fouled in a game at 2.25. One of the bookie bashing members noted that Gordon, just to get the shot on target alone, without the Semedo part of the bet, could have been backed over and under at other bookmakers around about 2.25. You could have forgotten about Semedo and bet on Gordon at 2.25. It was The boost was, a, of course, have a guess, Paddy Power and Betfair. But that one was really easy with no mathematical knowledge to show that it's very unlikely to be value given the market price that's available elsewhere. And this was pointed out by the bookie bashing member to Andy Robson. What happened? Andy Robson just blocked him. Of course he did, right? He's not open to dialogue. Come to bookie bashing, ask me any question about the underlying data, principles, assumptions, and algorithms and we are very open and transparent. We always have been. Um, that's critical to gaining the respect of our um, the people that are paying us money for a subscription. Right? Um, we're independently proofed. We put up results histories. We don't hide losing bets. We don't hide from profit loss. We listen to people when there's reasoned arguments. And what I want now Andy to do is if I've missed something... I want him to come to me and give me reason arguments about why Leicester to score two plus goals and Plymouth Watford both to score was a good bet on the Paddy Power price. I want to know why use the Paddy Power price. I want to know why evens was a good price. I want to know why not using the exchange. I want to know why not telling your users to use the exchange. If you're finding these bets that are good at even money, you must have made them like 1.9. All of a sudden... If your fair odds are 1.9, you could be sweeping up 50% EV bets on the exchange yourself. Why don't you just do that? Is that where the money for FC Toshavin sponsorship came from? Not if on each bet you're losing 40% EV with a max of £10, by the way. It's not. That's for sure. Um, maybe the guy's a banker and he does this for fun. Well, if he is, he still has a responsibility to tell people that over time they'll be losing. And I don't see that anywhere. I don't see that anywhere across Andy's tips. In fact, what do I see across Andy's tips? Well, look, at Bookie Bashing, what we know is that we run a Discord channel. We have a social media manager who does our social medias. And what we know is that if you look at our recorded profit loss sheets his historically, we know we're in profit. Um, there, there's been some tinkering where we've managed to raise the ROI, but 
We don't run anything that runs at a loss. We're independently proofed. And yet still, overall, the feedback that we get is overwhelmingly positive in private and overwhelmingly negative in public. And there's a real reason for that. When you have a service that is offering value, potential wealth to people, it is natural human instinct for people to want to protect that. So um, if someone gets a few winners or has a lot of winners, they generally on average stay quiet. If someone gets a few losers, they're more often than not telling everybody about the losers because it's easier, it's human nature to feel those losers more than the winners. And also there's a little bit of gamemanship going on where the member or the user of the service wants to protect the value from themselves and not expose it to newcomers. And this has always been the way. So generally, the overall average amount of feedback on results is negative, and that's why it's so important to have the transparency of um, profit-loss histories and independent proofing. Uh, and it's okay. We, we know that we get that on our social medias and our Discord. We're too old, too ugly um, to be bruised by any of that negative feedback anymore anyway. When we look at Andy's football tips, what do we see? Okay, first comment here. Always on. The, they win every time. Surely the bookies will get angry soon. Next comment. I'm on. Thanks, Andy Robson. Next one. I won too. Next one. Congratulations. Oh, my days. In fact, I noticed earlier when I was looking at and preparing this today, he posted, um, he posted something this afternoon because it's a Saturday afternoon as I record this. Um, and it was something to do with the evening game, um, Newcastle versus Manchester City. My reasons for picking Rodri. Uh, Premier League stats for Man City. Um, Rodri has the most cards, seven. Most fouls committed, 24. Averaging 1.59 fouls um, per 90 minutes. Fouls drawn increase away from home. Evens looks great. More research below. Ha ha. Um, a thread. And he posted this. And within 16 seconds, he had 24 likes. And the first comment had said the word awesome. Um, star, star, star. How does that happen within 16 seconds of posting something? It's barely enough time for anybody to read and divulge the information. I don't understand it. And it's all positive. That's the first thing. The second thing is my reasons for picking Rodgy. His stats, his stats for Man City, he has the most cards. Okay, so what? I mean, the bet here is Rodgy to be foul, Rodgy to foul and be fouled versus Newcastle at even money. Um, he's got the most cards. Okay, so what? I mean, um, the, the most cards could be, well, he's got seven cards. Um, how does that translate into any kind of probability of today's game? Right. There's, uh, there's there's an overall amount of booking points or cards that's going to be in this game. Um, how does that translate to his stat? Uh, the most fouls committed. Again, it's relative. The most fouls committed against the, by the world. It could be by the world's cleanest team. Um, he, he now averaging one point five nine fouls per ninety minutes. Um, okay, but how many minutes is he going to play? Is expected playing minutes in this game we must 
know this. Fouls drawn increase away from home. Everything he's saying there, Andy Robson, is saying, on average, Roger gets 1.59 fouls. But, I mean, he's, like, because they increase away from home, he's going to get even more than that. And this harps back to the guy that says he's got a horse that cannot lose tonight in the 8 o'clock at Wolverhampton but doesn't give you a price for it. And he says evens is a great um, uh, set of odds for this but does not tell us how far down we could bet. What if we can't bet on the... Oh, wait a minute. It's a boost at Betfair and Paddy Power. What if we can't bet on the boost? What if we have to take the standard price of 1.89? Is that a good price? Where is the, Where's the threshold? Where's the fair odds? Can we not break anything down into probability and odds for this particular game? No, we can't. He's not going to do that. Why isn't he going to do that? Could it be because he doesn't have any understanding of probability or odds? But this is um, the UK's premier football tipster. As we heard before, 125,000 people sign up to his Gembet email every single week. He's got almost universal positive feedback so how could it be that he doesn't understand the odds he has to be able to understand the odds here's what's going on this could be gross affiliation at a level rarely seen or the guy works for betfair paddy power one of the two and those are the only two options now i don't know if he is just a super affiliate, a super affiliate at a level that is pulling the wool over people's eyes at a scale rarely seen before. I don't know if that's the case. Or if he actually works for Paddy Power Betfair. He may not have an employment contract with Paddy Power Betfair, but somebody else, Joe Bloggs, might have a contract with Paddy Power Betfair, and Joe Bloggs just may give Andy Robson everything to post or have control of the Andy Robson media account. Because what seems to be happening quite clearly is that everything is around pushing people to boosts at Paddy Power Betfair that are positive equity for Paddy Power Betfair and are bad for the punter. And there's no other bookmaker in consideration in this timeline. So, I mean... If I was to guess, I actually think that this this is more nefarious than a super affiliate. I I think that Andy Robson or the Andy Robson account is run by Paddy Power and Betfair. Now, the Gambling Commission, as poor as they are, have very stringent advertising and marketing rules for betting companies. They always harp on about sheltering... Um, betting from children, which I kind of think is nonsensical. I allow my children to uh, understand what I do as a job. I allow, I play um, poker with chips against my six-year-old and my eight-year-old and a little bit of pocket money. I think it's quite healthy for them to um, know about risk and start to get to grips with probability. These are good skills for life. There are other parents out there brainwashed by the masses who say that, um, if their darling Cuthbert uh, lays eyes on a Stoke City shirt with Bet365 emblazoned upon it, then they're going to go to hell and um, their character will be defamed forever. But that's their problem. It's not mine. But too much attention, in my opinion, is centered around not allowing 
Premier League teams to have betting companies on their shirts, the advertising boards, the advertisements in um, 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 uh, sporting advert breaks and things like that. Those those are very much straw men arguments about the, uh, against the overall picture of who's necessarily at harm. And the people who are at harm could care less what betting company is on the shirt of Stoke City. They really could. Um, the, uh, the Gambling Commission spends way too much time drafting codes of conduct um, for things like that. The Betting and Gaming Council have a mission statement... Um, where they promote social responsible gambling across all gambling sectors of the UK. Um, it's afforded by the collaboration of all trade association heads to form a single body, demonstrating the industry's commitment to openly share information and continue to develop, improve and promote best social responsibility practices. Did you watch the documentary on the post office scandal? Did it not come across to you that... The post office seemed to say all the right words, such as um, I think that they were a number one workplace for women to work and they were like champions of diversity. And all this time, there's a lot of these words being said, whereas if you look at the underlying practices, it's criminal and actually pushing people to suicide and jailing people who are completely innocent. The words are meaningless. It's the actions that are meaningful. The Gambling Commission and the Betting and Gaming Council very much are guilty by association of the same things that the post office is guilty of. And if they had any backbone, they would be having a look at what's going on with Paddy Power, Betfair and Andy Robson tips. Why? Because 682,000 people follow Andy Robson's tips. I'm no expert on how you buy or... Um, um, falsify followers on Twitter or X. If they're all real, that's one out of every 100 people in the UK are following Andy's football tips. And the following facts we've just gone through, we understand, we know. One, you will lose over time. At best, I could find a 99% EV bet. At worst, I found a 50% EV bet. You, we can actually prove that you can get significantly better odds at the very same site that Andy is pushing people towards. If you just go to Betfair and click from the sports book to the exchange, you will beat the lines that Andy is pushing in these boosts. That's number one. Number two is a confusing argument, but he's actually pushing people onto boosts. I have no idea why, because there will be traders looking at bet histories at Paddy Power and Betfair, seeing people bet on betting on these, and they will actually be restricting them because there is no synergy or discussion between the trading departments and the marketing departments. So, Andy, Betfair, it would not surprise me at all if Betfair Sportsbook are paying Andy to push people towards these boosts and then the trading department are restricting the same people that the marketing department are paying to get in there. That, <laughs> I'm fairly confident that that will be happening. The whole thing is a complete mess. But this is a really irresponsible mess. Because Boy George, because Scott Mills, because Betfair Help, who all follow Andy Robson's tips, along with another one out of every 100 people in the UK will be led to think that this research stands up to critical review. 
and nothing I've seen, not a single bet, stood up to my critical review. I couldn't even find one plus EV bet. That's my challenge now. Show me one bet that could be benchmarked against a reasonable data source and show me how and why it's positive equity. Just one. He, he throws out dozens of bets every single weekend, hundreds of bets over a month. And he's got all of these different things that show that he's doing his quote unquote research. It looks really good to the recreational reader. He's got cheat sheets, which have got packed full of statistics. Um, he's got one for Chelsea versus Fulham, where possession, corners for, corners against, um, the number of yellow cards in the previous games. He's got the referee's um, career. This must have taken forever for him to put together. That is unless he happens to have access to a pretty powerful sports database and also a team of people that can put this together for him. Who would the team of people be? He's already alluded to a team of people in his interview with Haverford West. Could his team of people actually be the Betfair Paddy Power marketing department? If it is, then shame on you. This is exactly the kind of thing that needs to be clamped down on. There will be people losing a significant amount of money on this shill. And how many red flags did we have as we went through here? Did we reach double figures? I think I stopped the red flags after about six and continued talking, even though the red flags continued. I, I lost count. I was, I was red flagged out. Challenge for two different people okay one to anyone listening is anybody does anybody know anyone that is following this tipster and is up over a significant uh, a statistically significant sample size anybody um or can you just find me one positive equity bet that would be profitable in the long run okay that's my first challenge my second challenge um andy robson you did a interview with haverford west FC, I can say it now, is it Haverford West? Come on the Bashcast. Come on the Bashcast and tell me um, how your research that you do, and, you know, it looks like you do a lot of research, how your research is actually coming up with numbers that are beating the markets. Why don't you use the exchange? Why do you bet into power prices? Um... I mean, you if you're if you're beating these negative equity bets that are against liquid exchange, you'd be absolutely smashing the exchange. Can we have a critical look at a few of these bets? Because a few of these bets that you're putting up by proxy means that there are massive positive equity bets out there, um, and we can forget about these boosts and really actually target some standard markets, some exchanges, and we can really clean up you and me, buddy. Forget about however much money you're making from your social media platform. We will clean up the markets. I can help you. We can get in touch with some big playing affiliates and we can start getting some money into the markets because if what you're saying is true, if these bets are as good as you're saying that they are, then there's no need to be shilling them out. That's my challenge, Andy. Come in and talk to me. Come on, come on the Bashcast and say anything other than what it looks like to me. That you are, in fact, either Paddy Power Betfair, or you're on their payroll, or you are an affiliate at a gigantuan level. And if you are an affiliate at a gigantuan level, shame on you. 
because there's half a million people, over half a million people, who will be looking at your so-called research thinking that they can make money out of it. I really wouldn't mind if you weren't pretending to be profitable at the scale that you're doing. I wouldn't mind if you had 10 followers and you were doing this because it doesn't affect that many people. But you've got a reach that is bigger than most of the advertisement breaks on ITV racing on a weekend. I wouldn't mind if you told people that these are going to be losing bets in the long run. You know, you do say... Any profit is a bonus. Keep it fun and gamble responsibility, uh, responsibly, 18 plus. But then you go on in each individual bet to say, here's why these bets are amazing with your overwhelmingly positive feedback. Your, your, your comment section is being moderated to the teeth. Why? Tell me why. Where's all the negative feedback? Um, uh, it's... it's, it's awful it's a damning indictment that this kind of thing is allowed and the third group or individual i want to hear from is the betting and gaming council and i want to know why none of your attention is on this because it should be stopped because there's going to be a lot of money people losing way more money than anyone that has been caught up in affordability checks source of wealth um, if you want to talk about responsible gambling, this kind of thing, Andy Robson's tips, is exactly the sort of thing you need to be looking at. And if you don't want to look at Andy Robson's tips, just go to Emily Taylor tips. That's Emily's football tips, where if you give her a heart and retweet her tweet, then she will post her 69 to 1 long shot acker as if every 69 to 1 long shot Acker wins. You can, if you retweet her tweet, go on the £10 to £500 train. Do you want to know what? With um, some education, some understanding of variance and bankroll management, we published our selections for golf tournaments before the golf tournament started every week, and we turned £1,000 uh, into £10,000. It was a 1000 to £10,000 train on our very first attempt. And we're now in attempt number two, and we've gone from 10,000 to 17,000. We're nearly at the 20,000 again. That was done through informed value betting, through mathematics, through understanding the odds that we had to bet at and betting over there. Emily just gets to start this train, and she bets £10 at 8 to 13, and then that will win more often than not. And then you bet all of that at... at six to uh, four to six and then you keep on betting it odds on until one day it busts and then she forgets about the 10 pound to 500 pound train should this matter well the only thing that matters is that she's got nineteen thousand followers and these people are blindly following her in thinking they can turn 10 pounds into 500 pounds and i promise you this anyone that falls for emily taylor's tips is desperately wanting to turn the £10 into £500 because they need the £500. They probably can't afford to lose the £10 and shouldn't be betting on them. It's serious, irresponsible social betting, as is Andy Robson tips. So, Andy Robson, you're welcome onto the Bashcast. Come and have a chat with me anytime. I want to hear what you have to say and also how on earth you sleep at gambling. And chat, and gamble, and chat, and gamble, and chat, and gamble, and chat, and gamble, and chat.
BBC World Championships wrapped up earlier in the year um, with Luke Humphreys beating Luke Littler, Battle of the Lukes, in the final. Um, it was a profitable one for me. A, a really weird kind of pre-Christmas and post-Christmas thing going on. Couldn't get going. Like, any time you got some inertia before Christmas, it would just go away again. Uh, ended up, I was in the red after about 55-odd bets, Um um by christmas day um and then it recovered nicely afterwards so that's good got off to an absolute stonker actually on day one with a uh, paulo nebrida who i'd never heard of and i thought was paula i thought one of maybe three ladies in the event but no paulo was a man most 180s um was um quite good everywhere against simon whitlock and went out of the Tournament on the very first round lost 3 2 to Whitlock, but um, through six 180s, which with um, Cameron Menzies, Rodriguez, and Doet's bunt as the other two matches finishing 3 0 in super quick time. That's all you need. And sometimes these most 180s come down to that because when you're looking at 180s, um, you're looking at 180s per leg or per set, and then you're looking at the average number of sets in the match. And if it's going to be over super quick, like those 3 0s with Menzies and Doet's, there's not that opportunity. And um, Whitlock managed to rack up five sets with Nabrida. So whatever his um, 180s per leg stat is, it's obviously easier to get six 180s over five sets than it is over three sets with Menzies Rodriguez. So you got a little bit lucky there, but also it was value. I want What I want, here's what I want in darts, right? And I've wanted this for a long, long time. And I've spoken to some people. I haven't really been able to get my hands on it so far but what i want is um dart by dart tracking through all the major events and darts so not just um uh, the set score and not just the leg score within each set but i want to know the score of every dart uh thrown in those sets or at least the three dart score if we don't have the one dart score um as i'm aware there are a few sharp darts punters out there and they mostly are sharp through the interrogation of their own data sets this is a data set i don't have so i have to be sharp through other tricks like i'm i'm borrowing other people's average 180s if you like um as data sources i'd really like my own but i just don't have the data for it um flash scores record them but then they get rid of them after a period of time so it'd be awesome if something like that could be sort of you know, picked up and borrowed. And I know people do do it, but I don't have the technology in front of me. Just to, And if you could do that, you're then, you, you know, the trick is to, can you see what the average 180s is for your fella? And can you see what the average three-dot score is for your fella? And now compare it against the other fella. And you can use various distributions to come up with a probability that either will win. But the other thing that you're looking at is, what are you... What are you focused on as your metric? Are you focused on the average of his game from the last six months? Or are you looking at someone like Luke Littler, who's been improving over time at a very fast rate? Because it's those guys that are improving that that's where you're going to find those edges against the market makers and things. So I really like that, but I don't have it anyway. Um, uh, but other than, you know, picking up a few, yeah, player to win. Uh, the other player to have the most 180s in the match or most 180s in the session um you, you know we get some inertia and then there'd be some big 180s in the session and then they'd all lose at william hill and so you're back to square one 
There was a decent one actually matched to have the most 180s. Glenn Van Veen versus Man Lock Lewin. There's a Man Lock Lewin. Um, and again, in this session, you've got Lukman Poor, which was 3 1. You got uh, Vandenberger versus um, Tricol, which was 3 1. And then Van Veen versus Leung, which was 3 2. And that being 3 2, that five sets with also man like Leung throwing 11 180s in that. They're um, the most 180s in that match at 9 to 1. The fair odds were 8.19 um, through a skellum distribution using the average 180s for each player in each match. Um, so getting that 9 to 1 available in some shops as well it was pretty decent pre Christmas. I played match 180s, most 180s. I toyed around with some King of the Oki calculations, which is now in the bet builder if you want the King of the Oki. How do we do it? Heh. I think we're, um, we're beyond the point of breaking that down into first principles based on what happened at the end of uh, 2023. But we've got King of the Oki. We've got um, player to win the match in most 180s, player to win the match in total 180s. A, a common one was um, player to get 180 in every set, which we were working on, um, and we want to get onto the 180s tool. Um, so all of those are quite nice. Um, that, that's kind of one that's um, frequently up in the enhanced specials. But I'm going to save that for the next part of this bashcast where I'm going to talk about the enhanced specials, which turned out to be the third biggest sport at Matchbook a couple of years ago. But I wanted to have a look at the outright market as well as these um, 180s. Um, I, and I was trying to figure out my angle of attack. And it was loosey-goosey. I don't entirely know if um, this is long-term profitable. But I was trying to use a justification of something. So I was like, I can't price the games up myself, which makes it a little bit difficult to see if I can... Um, come up with my own progression through the tournament and outright odds for each player. Um, but what I can do is I can use fair odds from the existing outright market on the exchange and compare them to the bookmakers. And what I wanted to see was, um, here's my theory, is like, if anything is um, an ARB, it might be arguable that it's value at the bookmaker, but it might be equally arguable that it's simply bad value at the exchange. Both of those could be true, or just one of those could be true. So it could be good value at the bookmaker, or it could just be bad value at the exchange, or it could be a little bit of a mixture of both. Um, but you can flip that on the head as well. Where you, you have a very large gap between the bookmaker price and the exchange price, that could be for one of two reasons, or both. It could be very bad value at the bookmaker, or it could be very good value at the exchange or a bit of both. Now, bear in mind, you're going to get larger gaps with fave long shot bias with the outsiders in the field. So maybe you want to be looking at the players that are a little bit shorter, but also there's a fairly big gap between the bookmaker and the exchange price. I'm not saying this is a profitable strategy. I haven't looked back at large data sets or anything like that. It was just I wanted to play in the outright market. It was something I was toying with. I thought I'll give it a go. Um, I do enjoy the darts. I tend to watch every single game. And so I actually drew out the round robin on two sheets. I had the top half on one A3 piece of paper. I had the bottom half on another A3 piece of paper. I wrote out the draws from the last 64 and onwards um, with a tree diagram. And then I downloaded the data from the exchanges, the fair odds, the last traded price the back in the late to try and come up with some fair odds and i got the top price from the exchanges tried to admit any outliers there and i just took the price at the exchange divided it through the price at the bookmaker 
And then I just ranked them, right? And I ranked those players. And Kelsey Breeze, all the outsiders were at the top and all the favourites were at the bottom, generally, but there was a bit of mixing up. And I was trying to figure out if I could see any players where there was a really big difference in price um, between um, the exchange price and the outlet. Um, the bookmaker price, maybe I'm just getting some value at the exchange there. So who's the first person that uh, jumps out at me? It is Mr. Brendan Dolan, um, who is um, 1,000 to back on the exchange, 1,000 last traded price and no lay. Should be a bit scary, that. The the 1,000 back, no lay, means he could be any price above 1,000. Could be 5,000, could be 10,000. Uh, just because the last traded price is 1,000 doesn't really... It's not indicative of anything, so should be a red flag. But um, I decided to play him. He had Mansell or Zong in the first round, um, uh, and he came through it. And he came through the last 32, and he came through the last 16. Brendan Dolan actually got all the way to the quarterfinals, to the last eight, where he was playing Luke Littier. He knocked out Gary Anderson kind of make Luke Littier's, uh, Luke Littier. I always think the I is a, the, the L is an I in Luke Littier. Um, he knocked out Gary Anderson in the quarters, which was the danger man for Littier. Um, so um, he made his progression a little bit easier. Um, but Brendan Dolan at 1,000 to 1. Wasn't 1,000 to 1 for long. By the time we got to the last 16, he was um, 150. 40 on the 29th of December won his match then he was 170 in the next match it's really interesting how if you take a player and you follow them all the way through the tournament and you look at their match odds in every round the product of those match odds should equal the outright odds if everything is efficient and correct which of course it never is but my gut instinct is that the product of the match odds simply never equals the outright market um I'm sure there's an edge. I'm just not entirely sure what the edge is. Um, but Brendan Dolan at 170 when there were only 16 players left was a bet. Brendan Dolan um, at 1,000 in the first round getting to the quarterfinals was great fun. I never really expected him to win. I kind of wish this was each way, but this was outright only. I did have quite a large smattering of players to try and... Um, have um, a decent overall coverage. So I went for, if interested, um, in the top half of the draw, Decker, Ross Smith, O'Connor, D'Souza, Clayton, Wright, Van Barnevelt, Littier, and Dolan. So those were the players in the top half of the draw that I had a, a large discrepancy between the outright price on the exchange and the bookmaker's price. And on the other half... Um, Kim Hybrids, Vandenberg, Noppert, Williams, The Heat, Cullen, Ryan Searle, Gurney, Chisnell, and Van Veen. So, um, few of those players outperformed each other, notably Scott Williams, who got through his quarter that included um, Heater and Williams, well, he is Williams, Noppert, um, in, the, in his first match, Vandenberg, Kim Hybrex, Josh Rock, and... Michael Van Gerwen in the quarterfinals, doing the Lord's work in the quarterfinals, uh, making the tournament interesting. Van Gerwen was one of the few players that steamed through the tournament. Um, um, came in from 4.3. Um, but as Humphreys progressed through the tournament, he drifted to, um, from 
4.8 up to 5.6 up to 6.5 up to 7 as Michael Van Gerwen came down to even money um 6 to 4 um and really Williams doing the lord's work for everybody there um getting through that half of the draw Humphreys getting through his half of the draw despite drifting because he had a lot of poor performances it was really interesting to see his odds go out um as um, everybody, well, not everybody else's came in, but his his went out, and he ended up winning it. Of course, on the other half of the draw, Luke Littler. So I missed the hundred to one in the first round before gilding, but what I did note was his average, um, and there was a lot of discussion around his twelve point zero after his first round. A little bit of has it gone too far or is that now value? Well, I'll tell you what. If he if he's 107 average throughout the entire tournament, he's going to walk over everybody at 1.2. So you're looking at 1.2 in the um, next round, and then 1.2 in the round after that, and then 1.2 in the round after that, and then 1.2 in the round after that, and 1.2 in the round after that. And okay, maybe not 1.2 in the semi-final, but maybe. Um, um, you know, 1.5 in the final. Basically, he's just going to be favourite because nobody else is going to have 107 average in every single game. So um, let's just say, for argument's sake, he's 1.2 for four rounds and then he's um, 1.5 and then he's even money. Um, if that's the case, then that's something in the region of 6.2. So he's 10.12 on the exchange. So all he has to do is keep up that record pace. 16 years old, what could go wrong? So I thought he was big value outright at 10.5. So um, um, topped up on him more than any other player after his match against Gilding. Uh, sorry, Kissed. It was Gilding was in the second round. Um, and then he wins that. So I'm like, well, we're in here. And he goes out from 12 to like 13.5, 14. And then he wins that match and he comes into about 12 and then he wins that match and he comes into 11. And it's like, right. So obviously my 12 in round two was not a very good value bet based on the product of his matches that happened after that. I mean, he was like 1.3, 1.3, 1.25 in those three matches. Um, then went 1.27, 1.35, 1.8, 2.3 in the final. So um, his product was 16.2. So it was like he wasn't um, he wasn't value based on the, that uh, those matchups being efficient all the way through. He wasn't value when I took him um, against Gilding in the outright market. Probably was about neutral in the next round and was certainly value for the couple of rounds after that. Um, and I was really quite vested in Luke Littier because it would have been a story as well. Sorry, Luke Littier. Um And he was a calm cucumber. Um, and he looks 27 and he's got his 21-year-old girlfriend and he, he talks a lot more maturity than I do at the age of 45 and he's 16 and he's been given slag off people because nobody in this country can bear to see anybody have any success so we've got to get on his back about him having kebabs and holding up a Sun newspaper because goddamn the Scousers are sensitive lot, aren't they? And then um, uh, he gets the final and... At one point, he's a, a set ahead. Did he go two sets ahead? I'm not sure. Um, I know he was as short as 1.3 in the final. Did I hedge? No. Did we discuss it? Yes. Did we do it? No. 
Do of course I regret it with hindsight? Yes, but um, it was a fun tournament and the outright for me. Um, might do that again. Again, I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying that that is a profitable strategy. I'm saying I wanted to come up with something that sounded like a reasonable strategy because I enjoy the darts and I wanted to have some fun in the outright market. So um, might do that again in the future. So all in all, I was couple thousand up but um i was looking to be very down on christmas day and i was looking to be a lot more thousand up if luke humphreys hadn't won that final but he deserved to win so what are you gonna say what are you gonna do the nine data didn't come in and i did do an interesting um blog on the nine data i thought it was interesting anyway because generally the no in the nine data is value because everybody bets the yes for the tournament we've had quite a strange distribution in future years though from 2017 having none 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 and none then in 2021 having one and in 2022 having three and in 2023 having another one so like that's like five in three years so the three-year average is 1.66 but then the four years before that, the four-year average was zero. So what do you use as the average? Do you go back to 2009? Has anything changed with the sport itself? One of the interesting things I think about betting is that any of the... There's no right or wrong answer about what statistic or metric to use in your analyses. Whatever you think is right, and you can argue, you know... There are maybe varying shades of grey, but there's no complete black and complete white. So um, do you want to use a three-year average? Well, why not? What about a rolling three-year average since 2009? Um, because rolling kind of means that we get rid of any one-year outliers. Okay. What about five-year averages? What about 20-year averages. Oh, you could argue for all of those different metrics, and I, I could be swayed by any particular argument that you might give. However, using a 2009 to 2023 average, you have 0.9333 nine daughters per year. Using um, the average from the last three years only, you have 1.666 nine daughters per year. That's a difference of fair odds of 1.65 for a nine daughter and 1.23 for a nine daughter. Or 14 for three nine daughters and, or more, or 4.27 for three nine daughters or more. Well, anyway, you looked at it, it looked like there were going to be ni a nine daughter in this tournament. The zero nine daughters ranged from between six to four and four to one. Um, you could get top price six to four at William Hill. Looked like a bet. Decided not to go for it, but um, it was arguably a value bet, that six to four at William Hill. I was a little bit more swayed where everyone else, looking at the last three years, looking at the pattern of one, three, and one. I was ready for a two. I was ready for a three. There were no nine daughters this year. And again, Captain Hindsight rears his ugly head. Uh, and the no is the obvious bet when it comes in. I mean, that's the fifth year with no nine daughters in the last um, eight years. Um, so getting six to four on the no nine data, just using those stats is fine. But this is the interesting thing about betting. Use the metric that you want to use. And if you can argue that your metric is sound logic and your probability distribution is sound logic, then you can probably find some value out there in the markets and justify that market, that value. And I think... Zero nine daughters was justifiable. Um, the no on a nine daughter on the, to the tournament. 
um, at six to four, um, using the 2009 to 2023 three-year average as a metric. It's probably quite a good one, but then somebody else might have come along and said, nah, 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 mate, you need to be using a different metric. We can only be looking at the last three years because the players are better. Well, the players are better. Did you see a few of them this year? Suzuki nerves affect everybody. I don't know if the players are better. Are the uh, do the averages show that they're averaging better? I don't think they are. I know we're getting more one eighties in the tournament than ever before, but the averages aren't going up and up and up and up. I think they're, they're roughly remaining the same. You know, the record averages were in years gone by. Um, not now. Phil's gone. Um, so. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's um to me it was more than it was more than the nine data this blog. It was just making me think. Um there's more than one way to uh come up with expectancies for any particular sporting event and nobody can tell you that you're right or wrong. So just try and paint the picture with incomplete information. See what you come up with and see what prices are out there. And if those prices are out there are better than what you're making it, then go and bet on it, son. And don't sit on the fence like I did and uh, uh, and decide not to play in that nine-dart market in the PDC World Championships. As mentioned in the last section, enhanced specials were the third biggest sport, I presume behind horse racing and football at matchbook a couple of years ago they're now the seventh biggest but it's amazing how they sort of came out of nowhere and people are interested in them and every right to be interested in them they're a, they're a weird um they're a weird playground they're a weird environment the the enhanced specials though because um they can sort of collapse in on themselves they can be destructive look when Skybet enhanced something like Salah to have a shot on target. They've got a million pound marketing budget to allow them to pay for the lost equity of all of the punters putting their tenor on evens when it should be 1.2. But um, something like a your odds of Manchester United to get two plus goals and six plus corners, that's going to take like 100 quid and then it's going to get cut. And for anything to exist sustainably on the enhanced um, specials market on the exchange. This is this is an area where these are definitely being backed elsewhere. This is an arbing market, okay? Unlike horse racing and football, where you can argue that there are backers and layers who are just putting up an, opi- an opinion, the enhanced specials is primarily populated by people that are backing the enhancements at the bookmaker and then laying them off. Now, there's... Therefore, opportunity in some of these um, for those that want to back because um, they are often biased markets. They're often held up because there are more layers than backers and the layers really don't have a clue what the price should be. Uh, And it's really common just to see the enhancement of the bookmaker and then the uh, price to be one tick under that on the ex- on the exchange. So does that mean that you take that? Not necessarily. You should be pricing up everything yourselves. You see some real stupid ones. I saw um, over 38 180s in um, the Wednesday afternoon or the Wednesday evening session during the PDC World Championships of Darts. And it was, it was boosted to 11 to 2 at William Hill. But if you looked in the normal market, you could have got 6 to 1, right? 
like the boost was no good. I don't know if it was put up wrong or if it drifted. The prices changed over the day, but the boost was a bad price. It was available at a higher price in standard markets at almost every single bookmaker. And you go over to the exchange and you see money at 6.2 to back and you see money at 6.4 to back. And the last traded price is 6.4 because people have just seen the boost and they assume that the boost is a good price. So they back it at William Hill and they're trying to lay it off at 6.2, 6.4. How much money are you making backing at 6.5 at William Hill and laying off at 6.4? Okay, how much money are you making? The first person that's an idiot is that guy because that's how he's using his William Hill account. The second person that's an idiot is the person that's backed at 6.4 in the exchange because they've seen it at 6.5 in the enhancement market on William Hill. So they backed it at 6.4 in the exchange. The only winner in this is William Hill. Nobody else is a winner. <laughs> Possibly the exchange if they're taking a bit of commission. But the person that's arbing is an idiot. And the person that's backed at 6.4 is also an idiot. Everyone's an idiot. Um, you could see in the three matches that were on that day, which was Matt Campbell, Luke Littier, Michael Van Gogh and Richard Veenster and Michael Smith versus Madras um, or Madars Ranza, that there were going to be 11.8, 10 10.5 and 10.0 180s in those three games. There was going to be about 32.3 180s. Okay, the fair odds for over 38 180s should have been in the region of about 7.2. Um, uh, anyway, that's by the by. You see, uh, well, I am seeing a lot more of these enhanced specials. Back in the day, um, if you backed these enhanced specials at some bookmakers, you might find that you are um, targeted with a higher commission rate. Um, some bookmakers allow you to play in them at normal commission rates. Over at BetDAC, we've been talking to them and we've had an open dialogue and an open conversation. And we've had an open dialogue and open conversation with BetDAC, um, with Matchbook in the past, with OddsMonkey. Uh, what we're trying to do here is we're just trying to have a sensible conversation about the types of bets that are going up in these markets. Um, again, Newcastle, the one that annoyed me was Newcastle to win, Newcastle to have the most corners um, and the opposition to have the most cards. It went up on our tracker. 20 minutes later, it went up on Odds Monkey and it went up on the exchanges and then it got cut immediately. Who got on it? One person. So does it suit anybody? No, it didn't suit anybody. So those kind of things don't make sense. But... Also, you've got to understand, a little bit like um, in lockdown, there's game theory involved with toilet paper, right? You can say, don't stockpile toilet paper. But if everyone else is stockpiling toilet paper, game theory says that you're the loser. Forget, forget about what's good for society. You're the loser if you don't stockpile toilet paper when everybody else has toilet paper. Because what's going to happen Everyone else is going to have toilet paper and you're going to be wiping your bum on a magazine. And no one wants to do that. Now, it, the same applies with the enhanced specials. I'm afraid it would be great if the exchanges didn't put a lot of these up. But if one doesn't, the other one's going to. And if the other one's going to and, the other, and one doesn't, then the person that doesn't has the moral high ground and has the sensibility high ground and the long-term planning and the long-term future and the macroeconomics are right but actually they lose out customer base and they lose out commission to the other exchanges that do do it. So if one's going to do it, then the other one should do it. I mean, it, it, 
I can't blame them for. And if you can't beat them, you might as well join them. So we've had these discussions, and what we've done is we have joined. We've formed a partnership with BetDAC. So you can go on to um, Discord, and you can have a chat with BetDAC. BetDAC Ender, he's going to be on there. If you want to mark it up in the exchange, go and get a market up in the exchange. Go and ask him, he might put it up. If you want to market taken down, go and ask. doesn't mean he's going to take it down because you're jumping up and down th and um, um, throwing your toys out of the pram. And I can see this happening because it's not just bookie bashing that are in control of these markets. And also, if another exchange has got it up, they're going to be losing ground. So it, just by writing, this has to be taken down, doesn't mean it's going to be, but we will consider and we will have a grown-up conversation about it. And also... If you want 0% at uh, BetDAC, even if you've got a... If you're a new customer, go through the link. The link is on the blog under latest news at Bookie Bashing. And if you're an existing customer, um, then go and have a chat with in the in the Discord channel, the BetDAC Discord channel. You should be able to get 0% for 100 days. And you don't need to be a winning player to um, find that beneficial. All you need to be is a break-even player and then you can throw money around in various markets that you think are correct or value for you or neutral EV for you. And at least you shouldn't be losing money. Worst case scenario is you shouldn't be losing money. And that's never a bad thing in game theory, is it? You know, if you're never losing and then you're breaking even as a worst case scenario, then there are many scenarios out there where you're making a little bit of money. So, um, and of course, on the exchange... Don't have to worry so much about the restrictions. Okay, we don't have each way bias on the exchange. We don't have the ability to compound bets, but we do have other forms of bias and we do have longer term ability to bet. Um, just on those enhanced specials though, keep an eye out for them. They're not, they're not blindly good value and there are people betting into them that um, are losing money for sure. What's up today? Just having a look at it. Um, also, by the way, you may notice that Horse racing and football liquidity at Matchbook and at um, BetDAC have caught up and overtaken Betfair. It's really quite amazing what's happened. Just now, you can get Holly Doyle to ride one or more winners um, at Chelmsford at Matchbook. Um, so that can be done by picking up um, all of Holly Doyle's rides on the Bet Builder and just choosing um, over zero winners. Right, shots on target. We've got Raheem Sterling to have over 0.5. So I can't be bothered on the Bashcast to do the Holly Doyle thing because it does involve. It's gonna be like boring to listen to because it's gonna involve sort of searching for and loading up each one of her races. But the Raheem Sterling one should be fairly straightforward to find. Um, let's load up the player stats model at Bookie Bashing and then just have a search for Chelsea. Chelsea, didn't Chelsea just play the other day? Well, yeah, they che they played last uh, Chelsea Fulham. Oh yeah, let's go. This must be well early. This um, and Raheem Sterling to get a shot on target is one point eight two. Some of that's going at one point eight nine, which is good. You know, eight nine percent EV on the top of my head. Especially if you're getting zero percent EV, that, that, that's great value, right? And Morocco or Senegal to win the Afcon. I've no idea. Again, you could um, load that up in the bet builder with an all bet. Figure out if that's good. And look, it's um, Wednesday evening just now, so there's not that much. Or it's Thursday evening just now. There's not that much going on today. But more of these um, um, enhanced specials will be 
put up going closer to the weekend. So if you can't beat them, you might as well join them. Don't just blindly bet into them. Do have an idea of the odds that you're playing at. But there can be some really decent EV in these. Um, I've been playing them at Smarkets, which is where I got all of my um, golf bets on the outright on. And then I've done quite well on golf outright at Smarkets in the last couple of years. Um, and um, I just decided that I was going to withdraw and I withdrew. And then um, I, I withdrew too much and I bust my remaining balance before Christmas. So for the first time in a long time, I went to deposit and I deposited into Smarkets and I initiated Source of Wealth, which I think pretty much does come from like it's automated, like they're looking for new deposits. But there's nothing in the system that goes, this guy withdrew loads and loads and loads and loads, went over to Portugal to get a villa for his wife's 40th and now he's deposited a small amount. There's nothing in the system to say that. Um and it's kind of, it is annoying because you read the text that they send you and it says something like, all you need to do is a really straightforward process is give us a couple of small bits of information and you'll be on your way. And you just know it's not going to be that easy. You just know it isn't. You know what I mean? It's like, they might, it, they'd be better served going, this is going to be torturous for you because you know it's going to be, and it's going to be intrusive and it's going to be unnecessary. I mean, I've made, I'm, I'm, in the region of a million pounds from gambling over the years. But where's my million pounds from gambling come from? A lot of it's come from numerous online bookmakers in the last 20 years. Um, I couldn't guess how many, but north of 50, it could be north of 100. Many of them have closed down. Um, many of them might not necessarily have been in my name. Now, these days I do bet in them, but maybe my mum might have had a couple of bets in the past. Um, a lot of profits. I've got logs for five figures worth of bets in the last few years in shops from various runners. I have photographs of every single bet slip. Um, and that's, you, you know, my shop groups are 100,000, 200,000 in profit. Um, now, my wealth, my savings that are in my bank account is a combination of the profits in previous years. It's all that. It's not come from my wages. I tend to spend my wages. I tend to keep my wages separate completely from my gambling. I mean, sensible people do this because in the past I've had my gambling bank account shut. I don't want a bank account shut that I get my wages into and pay the electricity bill and pay the mortgage. No one should. So I've got like um, an, an account for gambling. Um, I've had accounts for gambling in the past that have been frozen and shut down. Um, and I've got a savings account, which has really accumulated gambling winnings over the years. So um, Smarkets lock me down, and then they say, what do you do? And I, I, I'm kind of flipping. I kind of go, want to go, well, I run bookie bashing. Do you want a link to the podcast I did with Jason Trost where we talked about Source of Wealth? But this person's not going to care about that. They've got it's a box-ticking exercise. So send in my pay slips. Send in my bank account, send in another bank account, send in another, like, nine bank account statements end up going to them. Um, explain that I'm the director of a company, a limited company. Explain what my salary is. Explain that I have additional money. And then it comes to the um, what do you gamble with question. I was like, well, gamble on my savings. Where did the savings come from? So the savings, genuine answer. Genuine answer. The savings are the accumulation of gambling winnings over 20 years. And Smarkets came back to me and went, can you show proof of these gambling winnings? 
Now think about this. I mean, we're talking about 150 to 100 bookmakers over 20 years, many of which have, sh have shut down, many of which have ceased trading, many of which, almost all of which have closed my account. I can't log on to my Betfred, my Bet365, my Coral, my Skybet. I cannot log on to them. Uh, and I told them this. And they came back to me and said, well, get in touch with them and ask for your profit loss statements. That was the request. Get in touch with them and ask for my profit loss statements. And I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get in touch with over 50 historical bookmakers. How am I going to get in touch with Blue Square? How am I going to get in touch with bookmakers I was betting with in 2005? Um, and also, how does my shop profit come into it? So I actually sent them my shop bets spreadsheet. And I said, look at how many bets are on the spreadsheet. If you ask for any one of them, I'll send you a picture of the bets there. Um, but now it's going to get confusing that not all of the bet slip is mine. Like I share the equity with my runners and um, there's no contract around that. It's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. And here's the thing. The source of wealth that the bookmakers are running through is guilty until proven innocent. If you've got money, you are immediately guilty that that money is criminal. Whereas it shouldn't be like that. The bank have never suggested it's criminal. Although I did once come back from the European Poker Tour, I deposited quite a lot of money into my NatWest account and they did freeze it and they tried to investigate it and then they ended up shutting down my account because they weren't happy. Not because the money had been criminal or it was illegal, but because they didn't want a professional gambler depositing tens of thousands of pounds in cash into their branches. Whilst that was annoying, I can understand that. And... If you're going to be looking at um, criminality within source of funds, savings, within large amounts of money, that criminality um, needs to be investigated by the banks and the police, not by the bookmaker. It's not their responsibility or right to determine whether my savings account is sourced from criminal funds or not. I'm sorry, if the system is in place to do that, that's ridiculous. What are their training? I don't know, who, who am I even talking to? How do I know that my bank statements and all the information that I'm giving them is being held um, under lock and key, under legal privacy rules? I very much doubt it is. I don't even want to show these people and I don't want to justify it. And also... How am I meant to get 100 profit loss statements? Nobody can do that. It's unreasonable. I don't know how many bookmakers that have ceased trading or closed me down would even get back to me if I asked for them. In fact, I might ask Bet365 just for proof. There's probably, you could probably do one of these data requests under law where they've got to tell you, but that would just count for the last seven years, I'm pretty sure. A lot of my profit was from before seven years ago. You know, I, I built up my bankroll. I put it in the bank and I'm quite safe with it. And I was making money 20 years ago. Oh, it was frustrating as hell. And you just knew that the outcome was going to be the outcome. And then I couldn't deposit for the first golf tournament of the year. So I had to go elsewhere. Um, and I, 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 I couldn't um, hedge. Well, hedging's for gardeners. But I couldn't top, do anything for the final, even though I was quite invested in the And the weird thing about the final of the PDC darts is that I wanted Litia to win simply to give me some money in markets to play with. And what I learned 
was that if I hadn't withdrawn any money, then I wouldn't have had to redeposit and I wouldn't have triggered the source of wealth checks. So the lesson learned here is don't withdraw your money. As long as you leave your money in the bookmaker and you lose it in an irresponsible manner, then you'll be fine. But the minute you withdraw any, then you are at risk of triggering affordability and source of wealth. So the best thing that we all could do is leave the money with the bookmaker. And if we are not advantaged players and valued betters, we might as well just lose it. Spunk it all. It's ridiculous. It's not great. It's not a great system. We know it's not a great system. Anyway, I got really fed up about this after it was dragging its heels. And I sent out a tweet and I... I tagged Jason Trost and I was kind of commenting on my um, golf bets, which were being talked about over at Smart Betting Club's Twitter. And I said, um, you know, my bets would normally be at Smarkets, but I can't bet anymore because I've been source of wealth. And my tweet garnered a little bit of traction, a few retweets, quotes, tweets, mostly from people who have been through exactly what I've been through. And surprise, surprise, 24 hours later, my account was verified and passed with no other information for me. The last thing they'd asked for me is um, extra information. I didn't give it to them. And then I sent this tweet out, and within 24 hours, my account is fine. My assumption is that I was able to leverage my position um, to speed up the process. Well, that's not good enough. It's, it simply isn't good enough. Um, if they didn't want... If they wanted to protect themselves from bad optics, it's too late for the bad optics. The optics already happened. The fact that we got to a resolution sooner rather than later doesn't mean that it shouldn't have happened in the first place. I'm okay with who are you? What's your name? Give me a give me a bank statement showing money being deposited because you could be a Russian credit card fraudster. Um, so, um, even I don't even mind tell us your job and tell us how much you earn because I can kind of get if you're betting um, £10,000 a year and you earn £15,000 a year and you've got no savings then maybe we need to step in but I'll promise you this the amount that I deposited compared to the amount of savings I had was negligible to the point of were uh, pointless and also it should have been quite obvious that i withdrawn a significant amount of money and made a significant amount of money on golf on smarkets my smarkets roi is quite frankly outrageous and that alone should have been proof that i could redeposit anyway um it was it was kind of a it was a it, 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 i'm not going to say it was a happy outcome because i'm annoyed that it happened in the first place and I'm possibly um, using it to my benefit by not looking at Smarkets so much, but extending my view to the other exchanges because I was kind of very polarized on the one exchange, mostly because I kind of liked the UX. I liked the black color scheme, things, it was very swift. A lot of things were pretty good at Smarkets, but I've since been looking sideways outwards to Matchbook and BetDAC, and I'm impressed by what I see. And um, definitely in terms of the liquidity that's available as well. One thing they don't quite have at Matchbooks is the player bets. Um, and I had a conversation with them around that, and I hope that they do in the future. Um, uh, um, uh, and so for that, I still need Smarkets. Hand that to the investigated bet deck on their player bets in football as well. 
But yeah, look, going back to it, um, these enhanced specials, get involved. If you're a Bookie Bash member, drop onto the BetDAC channel in Discord and go and get yourself 0% commission for 100 days. Gambling and chat. Um, so I need to address maybe four or five different um, emails or support tickets that we've had through to bookie bashing, questioning what we're doing, changing various calculations, or um, wanting to know exactly what the change in the calculation is. Um, a few of them have been on the um, horse racing tracker. Um, what have we changed recently? Um, and a few of them have been on um, Double Delight, Hattrick Heaven, and a couple of them were on golf. And the answer is nothing, right? Um, what tends to happen a lot is when we go through a dry period um, or a losing period, um, we start to get questions about what it is that we've changed because the results haven't been going people's way certainly with the virtual doubles there's a pattern that's um, um, quite familiar to us now in that we get asked for results histories for the virtual doubles in Betfred um, after about six to eight weeks into a losing run um, but when it's there's a winner or a sort of glut of winners in a period of time then we're not asked for one and we're not asked for one for a couple of months after that either because people it's in recent memory. So we're only asked for the bet histories, which we don't have because we don't record day to day um, virtual doubles in store. Well, actually, we do record the virtual doubles. It's just I can't be bothered to look up the results and I'm not on all of them. So I have a selective data set. And in the past, I put my selective data set up and the feedback was, why have you included some of the winners and not the losers that I was on? And I was like, okay, well, do you know what? If I can't collect all of them, then I'm not going to publish any of them because it's a relatively fair argument if you don't trust me and you don't know me from Adam. It's like, um, why do you include the winners and not the losers? Answer, because I'm not on every winner and I'm not on every loser. And so I'm sorry if I'm on a winner that you weren't on. But forgetting about the virtual doubles now, you either trust the process or you don't. We were asked, though over Christmas to um, sort of look at the calculation and to give a bet history. And look, the virtual double calculation hasn't changed. The horse racing cal calculation hasn't changed. Um, we haven't touched it. Um, we haven't touched it for a couple of years. Actually, it's around about time where we need to touch it. And being how successful it is, I am wary on this, but I am working on the background on updating the bookie bashing algorithm the bookie bashing algorithm incidentally which is huge so if anyone ever asks for the bookie bashing algorithm it's not one it's not x equals y plus z it's hundreds of sets of regression analyses formed into thousands of different categories of equations so it's not just x equals y plus z i'm afraid it's a lot it's pages and pages and um um i yeah, we were asked what we've changed recently. We haven't changed anything. So um, uh, I haven't updated the results since September. From what I'm hearing from some people, September to December may have been a little bit dry. Uh, in the background, we're actually working on just changing how we do the results recording. 
for horse racing. So instead of selecting horses every day at 12 p.m., we want to have a look at every single horse that's plus EV on the tracker. Um, I mean, some people are coming over from the match betting communities like Odds Monkey, uh, places like that, I think, um, outplayed. Um, one of the things that we're frequently sort of asked is, where do we track all of our results? Where, we, where you know, I've bet on a horse, I want to log it and find out the results. Well, the answer is we don't do that because um, we're a tiny team. We have um, three of us, me, Duncan, Lee, and then we've got another sort of six or seven people that help us with day-to-day -day running, okay? Um, but the the tiny, the the size of resource that you would need to be able to log a bet and then for us to figure out what the result of that horse race was and the rule for deduction, which is critical for your bet that you placed, because somebody else may have bet on that horse and not got a rule, rule for deduction, but you might. Um, and then the number of places you were betting in. And basically, if we did that, we wouldn't be looking at anything else on the site. We wouldn't be looking at edges. So when you're a smaller community with... 100 times the size of ours, so like a smaller subscription community, but 100 times the size of ours, then you have an IT team that can look at things like this. If we were to do it, then we're not looking at other things like edges and angles and day-to-day -day upkeep of the scrapers, and that's why we don't, right? But um, we haven't changed. We have not changed the algorithms in horse racing. We haven't changed the algorithms in golf. The support ticket on golf was... Um, um, I'm a little bit concerned about my recent run on the results on golf. Um, have you changed anything? I heard in a private group that the distributions, the probability distributions that bookie bashing use are wrong. Well, okay. No, we haven't changed anything. Also, it's so easy just to say it's wrong. And if you come to us with proof and data, then we'll look at the proof and the data. But this happened in a private group, not even on our own forum. So how can I combat this argument? And then secondly, we're held to a different standard. We need to publish our results. We need to put results up before the tournament starts and track them over years and years and years. It, it's super easy for anyone to say, well, that's wrong or that doesn't work. But without the data, there's nothing to back that up. And so if anyone says it doesn't work and then doesn't give any data, well, we say it does work and we do give the data. So... Um, again, I know results can go on for months and months in golf and not be up, but nothing's changed with our probability distributions or our code in the golf tracker. This particular person was just kind of looking at the results, was talking to people on private forums. The people in private forums had given them some concern. Why do that? Um, if you come to us with any data, we'll always look at it. We'll always look at it. And do you know what? We can update things that you might have addressed that we didn't notice. But um, talking about it in private forums and not coming to us and then just saying it's wrong and putting off other people, I don't know. Seems a little bit cheesy to me. Um, the exact issue, I think, was to do with um, slightly smaller fields. Well, there might be something there. And we... Um, um, but I haven't seen anything in our data that suggests that we've got anything less than a average return on investment. You know, the 30% on um, the smaller tournaments, the 60-person fields to the larger ones. I know Liv is running bad, and perhaps there was um, um, there's something there, but I think I've discussed on previous Bashcasts that look just looking at the sample size isn't big enough, even though Liv has been going on seemingly forever. And then the other, um, the other bit of feedback was... Um, Somebody saying they can, they've never been able to place a horse uh, football coupon. And um, uh, I was like, why? And they were saying, well, because everything has been cut 
Uh, every team has been cut every time I do it. Now, I've got to say, I've never heard my runner give the feedback that he's gone to the counter and every team's been cut. Like, I can imagine it might happen in some circumstances on a particular coupon that hadn't been updated by anybody else that was maybe um, up very late. Like, if the coupon was out on a Wednesday and we put it up on a Friday, then there are going to be the top seven are going to be cut and everything like that. But it's super rare. Um, there's always one or two, and I wonder if it's just a management of expectations over... You've got to expect one or two cuts on a coupon. And generally, accept them, given that the overall coupon's going to be okay. Maybe one coupon every now and again will be bad, and that's okay. Um, or just mentally make a note that, okay, three of them have gone down by so much of a price, I no longer want this coupon. I'm going to go and swap them out for other teams, and then just go and take the next teams down on the list. And um perhaps don't exactly marry yourself on the 100% line because anything over 91% is arguably steamed in and is still steaming. I mean, it's a little bit of with coupons just trusting the process and being a little bit, um, I don't know, more relaxed, I think. But if you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it. It's just a chasing steamers exercise. It was the FA Cup round three, actually, on the weekend, and we were all over that. There's some really big, decent TV Teams like Coventry, Airdrie, who aren't in the FA Cup, but you know what I mean, uh, Newcastle, um, and all of them winning as well. Um, I didn't quite get the bumper payout in this FA Cup round three because I had um, I had some a decent number of winners, but they were all spread out and they didn't seem to congregate in the same bet slip. So it was like a lot of bet slips were just like plus 50% or double your money or something like that. Did um, manage the double delight on Hattrick Heaven on Isaac. Um, took a punt on him. Um, he was value against the exchange, but not value against bookie bashing. That was frustrating because um, the, bookie, uh, the bookie bashing bet history only looks at the DDHHEV against the bookie bashing price, and it technically wasn't good. But it was Newcastle against Sunderland. There was no way I wasn't going to be on a player. And also, I kind of, if I could play with that tool and assign more XG to Isaac, I would have done because he was playing out and out on his own. And I just felt like his AGS price on the exchange looked like a good price. Um, um, the normalization suggested that as well. Oh, in, incidentally, on that. So, yeah, I was on Isaac, but I can't include him in the figures. DDHH has been doing okay. Um, uh, it's kind of just been treading water since April, but it just takes so long to get a sample size of data. Like, I've got 700-odd bets recorded for a 16% ROI, but that's been going on for the better part of two years. Um, I think it's going to be May or June this year where we hit the 1,000 barrier, and then finally um, um, I think we'll be able to publish something that shows whether this DDHH tracking you know, statistically significant in the profit with the p-values and everything like that, or if it isn't. A um, couple of decent ones. Recently, Darwin Nunes. There was Birmingham versus Leicester. Um, Mavidi, who got double delight in that game, and um, everybody's favourite, Erling Haaland, before, who got the double delight. Um, and other than those guys, it's been like um, the plus EV players have been fairly dry all season. You know what I mean? Um uh, Going back to, you know, you need to go back to a glut of winners in September. And ever since then, just the three winners with about 40-odd bets. So I can see why you might question Double Delight, because it's now been months. 
um, since we've had a kind of like a good run at it. Um, but nothing's changed. Nothing has changed in the calculation. The um, player XG stuff is looking fairly robust. I've been doing a lot of work in the background as well, looking at exactly how much um, um, better the numbers are at normalization. So when we normalized after team news, we now sum up our starting 20 players against the match XG, against the over 2.5 liquid price. And if you were to bet on AGS on the exchange over thousands of thousands of players, then um, if you're getting a fair price, then you're going to break even. Actually, the back price does look to be losing around about 4 or 5%. So the layers are having a little bit of a field day. People aren't taking prices that are quite high enough on the exchange. And if you take the normalized value price, so what I mean by that is that we've normalized AGS and we think that Isaac is 2.3, he's 2.5 on the exchange. So anywhere where the exchange is higher than what we think his AGS should be, then you're in profit. You're losing money, you're about losing about three or four percent just blindly betting on AGS fair prices. You're making money, you're making five or six percent more return on investment using the normalized prices and using those normalized prices in AGS and FGS is definitely um, um, uh, profitable long term, but you got to get through these periods of the last few months where, you know, um, uh, certainly in terms of double delight hat trick heaven, um, if they're Isaacs, they're coming in, but the benchmark wasn't against the bookie bashing price, so he's not in the results. And um, how many people on Monday, the 18th of December, were looking at Birmingham versus Leicester for Steffi Mavdidi? I don't know. Trust the process. Trust the process. And also, don't think that just because you're losing, calculations have changed. That's not the case. That's almost always not the case. Um um, if a calculation has changed and your results change, you need to make sure that the sample that you're looking at before and after is big enough that you can actually define some proof from the data that you're looking at against the change that was made. Otherwise, it's a straw man argument. Your entire focus is not around the logic and, and the data source and the mathematics, but more around the blame um uh, about you know what i mean has anything changed so nothing's changed i mean the bb algo will be updated oh super nervous to update the bb algo got to make sure it's right by the way lot of review if you change anything but we do have like two to three years extra data that we can use to enhance the bb algo and maybe a couple of different ideas where we can um bring to the table just to make it more accurate than it was because we're a little bit more um, experienced than we were a couple of years ago in terms of the golf. Nothing's changed and nothing is planning on being changed, to tell you the truth. Uh, we're just pretty happy about how that's been going. Just like focus a little bit more longer term in terms of the coupons. Nothing's changed. My focus um, as well, nothing much has changed there. Um, so um, definitely in shop betting, um, uh, I'm going to be focused on golf each way football coupons, virtual doubles, if I can get them, nearly just doing those blind, they're just ABC, a lot of those virtual doubles, and um, Double Delight, Hattrick Heaven. Um, looking early, although, like, this weekend, I don't know. It's slightly it's slightly confusing in the Newcastle-Manchester City DDHH match um, in the Saturday evening game because both Haaland and Wilson look okay at this moment in time, but at... Um, 
Um, thirteen to two for Wilson and five to two for Haaland. I know who I would rather be on. It's so much easier to stake like um, well on the thirteen to two and Fred shops than it is on the five to two. That's for sure. And Hull Norwich, Adam Idar at seven to one is worth keeping an eye on. Um, Burnley Luton. Michael Oberfemi, 11-2. I mean, I'm not pulling the trigger on any of these yet. I might just wait a little bit lot closer to kick off. But these two have got half an eye on them. On Sunday, uh, Rasmus Hojland uh, for Manchester United, 11-2 against the woeful Tottenham. And Ollie Watkins, Aston Villa, away against Everton. Looks okay at 4-1. to one. So those are the players I am um, sort of half an eye on for the weekend double delay. I reckon I will be in at least two, maybe three of those guys. Um switching around different data sources if, you know maybe 98 percent ev could be justifiable if i think that the ags price is a little bit high on the exchange and if it could be argued that it would be lower than the fgs of course would then be a little bit lower and therefore the ddhh ev would be a little bit higher it all just depends on how you piece together the picture every time we're in shop we're hitting a few uh lucky 15s lucky 31s things like that um football coupons which you know they've just been a little bit tinkery a very very gradual roni uh, on football coupons over the last few months but if you can break even over a la- over a few months especially when you're betting at such high variance and high volatility as the football coupons where you know like the fa cup third round weekend you're just waiting for that coupon where all seven of them have been in the same one um so winners aren't enough it's the stars aligning as well and the golf each way that's what i'm doing and um uh, that's kind of what i was doing all the way through the last couple of years that strategy isn't changing immediately at the beginning of this year um for shop betting anyway so look i'm going to finish this week i'm going to finish this week with a new feature the new feature is called tales of duncan of yore so duncan of bookie bashing an intensely private individual does anybody know anything about him is he even real well i've known him for 25 years but some people might question whether he is or not i was talking to a friend over christmas about Duncan and we were reminiscing about some funny old stories and I will tell you one thing for sure Duncan will be absolutely aghast at this feature so with um, no permission from Duncan I recorded this conversation and I bring you episode one of Tales of Duncan of Yore whatever it is that you're betting on please make sure it's value I think James probably spent his life with Duncan being really good at everything. It was 1996, we were in Chamberlain Hall, and... Where your man from Who Wants to Be a Millionaire went. What was his name? Man. Who was your man from Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Who did Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Jeremy Clarkson. No, before Jeremy Clarkson. Chris Tarrant. Chris Tarrant, he dropped a goose off the oh, top yeah. of Chamberlain yeah, yeah, Hall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we, we, uh, we lived on the seventh floor, but we met... We met some guys from Devon. Seventh floor of Chamberlain Hall. Chamberlain Hall, yeah. It was a 13 floors, 14, I don't yeah. know, I remember, 18 half, floors maybe. Halfway up. But that's not the point. We, we, we met some friends from Devon who lived on the third floor. Duncan Acres, James Godbeer. 
Jason Hen. The reason we met them was because Jason Henley lived on the seventh floor next door to me, and he was their mate from school. So anyway, we started hanging out. With Hendy went to Duncan's school, as did James. I believe so. We went to school together. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we were walking down to campus one day, so we were walking on the path which went by the tower block, and. Uh, this is when I became aware of Duncan's sporting prowess. The tower block? The tower block. So Chamberlain Hall was a tower. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it went past Chamberlain yeah, Hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So James was in his room, three floors up. Three floors up from the ground level. However, there was a significant basement and the path went beside the basement. So the basement was about a floor and a half. So probably four and a half floors. From James's. From James's room, yeah. Yeah. And he sees us walking past and he like, oh, isn't it be funny to like grab an orange or something and throw it, throw it down at them and I'll try and hit them. So he throws it down at them, me and Duncan walking past. And uh, the windows... He threw had, an orange at you? He threw an orange at us. Did it hit you? Uh, irrelevant to the story, but it, it probably came close. But I'm going to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say now, if you threw an orange at me from four floors up, that could hurt. It's weighty there. If you get me plumb... That's going to hurt. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Four, yeah. irrelevant four, to the story. Four and a half floors up, but the, yeah. the windows had these like restrictors on them, you know, like you loop it over and it could only open about maybe that much. Mm-hmm. So I think it was quite a difficult throw to, to get down. But Duncan picks up the orange. So there's a safety window. There's a safety window. So so there's a safety mechanism, and there's, a, there's only what the width of an orange essentially to get it through. Yeah, maybe. Maybe five centimetres more than the width of an orange, but there's not I mean, a, I'm gonna there's go, a lot of tolerance there. I mean, I'm going to go in centimetres, maybe eight centimetres for an orange. Perhaps the window, yeah, perhaps the gap is 13. Yeah, maybe. Something okay. like that. Something yeah. like that. So, uh, yeah, Duncan picks up the orange. This window is probably only a metre wide, so he's got a metre wide by a 13 centimetre target. Yeah. And he's four and a half floors different. I would give you, I would lay you odds of 500 to 1. Picks up the orange, hurls it at the window, plumb through the gap, splats on his ceiling in his bedroom. <laughs> yeah. It's typical. It's typical. Yeah, yeah. I think this is a, a running theme of Duncan just being good at everything he turns his hand to. No, I mean, the, oh, he could do it another 500. Did he try a second time? No, no, no. I, he, I think he would be the character that would... You walk away. Just Yeah, just walk away. You don't try a second time. again. Yeah. He'll get a strike and frame one of bowling and then go to the bar. Yeah, yeah.